All right, welcome to Charm the Water. My name is Aaron David. This is July 21st, 2022, day of Jupiter. It's warming up. Uh, I am sitting in an awkward position because I have neck, back pain, nerve pain issue going on. I don't know what's up, but it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. I uh, just got back from physical therapy. Um, yeah, it's bad. Uh, and this is what getting old is like, especially as a triple Capricorn. You're just going to end up just a knotted thing in pain. <laughs> oh my God, getting old, man, is terrible. So many things. Everything just falls away. Like the leaves of a tree in the autumn wind on the side of a graved hill. Oh my God. Anyway, I'm going to try to push through this, push through the pain. For me, this is almost a martial initiation in itself. At times, my left arm absolutely feels like it's on fire. And then the next minute, you're like, oh my God, I can't feel nothing. I can't feel nothing. But uh, man, everybody's suffering nerve pain. Oh God, it's the worst thing ever. Worst thing ever. I mean, there may be some worse things, but it's up there. Uh, so that's why I am fidgeting around looking like, look, I look like Stephen Hawking in this, Stephen Hawking, was that the, uh, physicist, astrophysicist, physicist, some kind of physicist, I'll be looking like Stephen Hawking, man, ah, uh, man, I can't move my neck, oh, God, y'all see them black holes, man, oh, man, that quantum shit, <laughs> if you're watching the video right now, that was, that was funny. You guys listen to the audio. It was funny. I did look like Stephen Hawking. All right. Um, moving along, I'm going to try to push through the pain and get to the Mithras Liturgy. This is what I read last time on the last show. And um, I mentioned that there's a lot of interesting things in here. And I find that the Wikipedia article on the Mithras Liturgy uh, kind of breaks it down nicely in the sections and interesting bits so I might comment on them as we go through the Wikipedia article but I wanted to mention why why it's meaningful to me um, I, I don't want to go over my whole past from childhood and uh, Protestant uh, evangelical charismatic Christianity to five-point Calvinism to dark night of the soul to uh, hermetic practice that was essentially the road with us uh, a time of uh, exploring the psychedelic culture in there through that high school and the, the the kind of you know subculture Robert Anton Wilson Terrence McKenna um, including Aldous Huxley in there and uh, who else uh, Timothy Leary some of his his material and uh, most of all Terrence McKenna as I say the probably the most influential countercultural person from that, you know, kind of early, mid, late 1990s that uh, I still identify myself with and uh, shows my age. You know, death is a gift indeed. Uh, we all have a expiration date, you know, where, you know, it's, it's amazing to think what the hermetic initiation calls us to is a recognition of who we are and 
who we are together. And uh, it's the illusion in the world of all these contradictory, you know, conceptual knowledge that's created, you know, what's going on now. Uh, I think of Einstein and his saying that, uh, you know, the most important decision you can make is whether you believe the universe is friendly or not. If you make the decision that you believe the universe is not friendly, um, then what you're going to begin to do is uh, build weapons and uh, create a society that is walled off uh, from everything else and perceives everything outside of itself as an enemy. And uh, this is a very, um, very animalistic way of perceiving things, you know. Um, that's not what humans are. Whatever distinguished us, whatever came along and touched upon our minds uh, and generated this logos within us and made us able to project our minds into the future and use words to create language and a logic and all the things that make us special are our ratio, ratiocinating abilities, our deductive abilities, all this cool stuff we do. You know, we're really cool. I'm looking at the iPhone and you know, think about how many, how many people from how many different places, how many races, how many nationalities, all the people that contributed in some way that gave us the iPhone that's recording me visually and by audio right now in 4K, which is not shit anymore. <laughs> but uh, it's just, we're really cool. And it, it's really sad to me like that we don't recognize ourselves. We don't recognize ourselves in ourselves or others. And again, this is what the great work calls us to. Um, it calls us to recognize, number one, the universe is a friendly place. Why do I believe that? Because um, that's what I've experienced. Uh, and by friendly, my initiations, many of them were terrifying um, and were so disruptive, they shattered my previous held worldviews. I don't know how many people, especially in this culture, uh, would call that friendly. Um, it was an outright attack. Uh, in fact, the Orthodox Abrahamic religions of the West, uh, uh, you know, Aristotelian logic people look at the Eastern mysticism as that which attacks the logical mind, the reasoning mind, and seeks to destroy it. Now, as somebody that's had it happened, uh, it doesn't. What it does is moves your reasoning abilities out of the small basement apartment that it's been dwelling in and gives it a much larger, much more expansive view. 
the computer just went off. So in that, that through these hermetic initiations, I got something, I got these experiences, this gnosis that Orthodox religions call so dangerous, you know, that's bad, that's, uh-uh, none of that. Even though their own scriptures were written by people having their own mystical experiences. So I, I don't get that, but I want, it's, it's hilarious to me. It's a lot like, it's fun to hear John MacArthur, well, it used to be fun, I don't do this anymore, but it used to be fun to hear John MacArthur tear apart the Charismatics and attacking them, saying, the Charismata was only for the apostles. Now there's no apostles. <laughs> and all these funny little theological, logical word games. Uh, answer for everything from everybody. Different answers. But... Um, what I'm saying is that I found it amazing uh, that if I ask the powers that are grant individuals transformative experiences that are the catalyst for growth of being. And I think of you know, all the pyramid text, the coming forth by day and the golden dawn, using that term, the coming forth by day, being seen, emerging, coming into beingness. Uh, Jung would call this individuation. Um, the state that people are in in the world, they're not... not I, I don't want to say authentic because they are authentic in what they are, but what they are, it's, it's potential that's not been tapped. And when it's tapped, religions may use things like being born again or the kingdom of heaven within, or, you know, you have all of these uh, metaphors from different sects of Gnosticism and Hermeticism uh, that talk about this. Uh, the Philosopher's Stone, uh, the, on and on you could go um, through myth, Joseph Campbell's stuff, the hero's journey, which is what Jake Stratton Kent used to um, map out his reality tunnel. Let's use Robert Anton Wilson's uh, term behind all this grimoric stuff and all these experiences with these spirits. He kind of used that as a template. I heard Jake Stratton Kent was in the hospital and facing a uh, long recovery. I'm sorry to hear that because he is a unique voice in the wilderness. A John the Baptist, uh, truly, uh, you know, everybody in a community usually repeats the same thing. They all got the same book. They all repeat the same thing to each other, nod. And Jake, no. Uh, me witnessing him on social media over the years, I'm not personal friends with him or anything. I just followed like his, what he's saying in his work. 
and what I gather from that about him. Um, so I think that's my opinion, but I think he's very, uh, what's the word, uh, contrarian. And I recognize that because I think I'm myself as contrarian. In fact, you know, this is Capricorn. In my case, the, uh, one of the keywords there is opposing and me being placed in a uh, charismatic church as a child, uh, that would immediately start that process. My nature in that setting, the opposing, effective immediately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can see looking back, the growth did not begin on my magical birthday, July 15th, 2016. The growth began way before that in my life and even before this lifetime. Um, and those are some of the, the things that have come through uh, for me in my journey. And that's why in particular, what I'm going to get to is the Mithras liturgy is special to me because um, one of my experiences, I was in my cousin's church foyer. He's now dead. Uh, but this is a place I've been many times coming and going from church. In the vision, I was leaving church. I was always very eager to leave. Uh, again, charismatic church, they always want to shake hands, touch each other, hug. And this is not, these are not things I, I enjoy at all. And so, you know, I always just wanted out as quickly as possible move through the church foyer, through the front doors and down the steps and out. And as I was passing through, there was this young boy. He was kind of very timid to get my attention. And I was in a hurry and he said something, I think it's been a while since I, I'd have to look at my journal. He said, he said, I'm a palm reader. Would you like your palm read or something like that? And I was about to like, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, get out of the way. I'm, I got to get out of here. <laughs> but there was something about him. And like the sincerity on his face and his gaze that just stopped me. Uh, just grabbed my attention. And uh, I was like, sure. I, I handed him the hand that's on fire from nerve pain right now, my left hand. And uh, he looks at it and he starts reading my palm. And he said, you died as a Roman soldier on the battlefield in a previous lifetime. And he turns my hand. I don't shake. This is this whatever nerve thing I go on. It's got me like this. I just can't help it, man. But uh, there was a tattoo right here across the ridge of my hand, and it was in Roman letters. I, I don't I don't really read. I took Latin, but I got the mythology part. I don't know. I don't know what it said, and I don't remember the, the symbols. I, they were Latin letters, and it was a tattoo. And he just showed it to me and I woke up and I was like, holy crap. And I like turned my hand fully expecting to see that tattoo. 
Like it was so real. And um, that set me on to like looking into, was there a Caesar that uh, tattooed the legions? And it turns out there was. I forget the details on this, but it, it got me looking through all the legions and the names and, um, you know, it, it just is one of those things that changed changed everything. Um, through, through Kelly and mine's uh, journey through the seven spheres, she as well had some past life stuff. This is not anything either of one of us really believed in, reincarnation or... I mean, I don't know, I can't talk for her, but certainly as a former uh, fundagelical, it's not something I believed in, but you know, belief is, again, pointing to conceptual knowledge. I can say now, this happened, and it was transformative. Um, so, of course... The Mithras cult, as you'll often hear it called, was a seven-degree initiation system exactly uh, like Trithemius wrote of. And uh, it was something that the Roman military were really, really into. <laughs> and you can find all these, Mith I think it's called Mithraeums or something like that, Generally, a cave or underground, and this as well means something to me because uh, Goat, in one of my experiences with him, drew me into a cave. And, uh, I, you know, I contemplated this, you know, I knew the Plato's allegory thing, and read it over and over, trying to, trying to understand what the hell does this mean, this experience. And then kind of, you know, as this stuff unfolded, um, well, to say the least, the Mithras liturgy has pretty deep meaning for me. And a lot of the things it describes, especially the glaring of the gods, uh, you know, I've seen it. That just, you know, I... How could I walk away from this stuff uh, having experience? I have no need to believe in it or to not believe in it. It's just there. So looking at the Wikipedia thing, let's read a bit of it. Uh, the Mithras Liturgy is a text from the great magical papyrus of Paris Part of the Greek magical papyri, numbered PGM 4, 475 through 834. The modern name by which the text is known originated in 1903 with Albrecht Dietrich, its first translator, based on the invocation of Helios Mithras as the god who will provide the initiate with a revelation of immortality. The text is generally considered a product of the religious syncretism characteristic of the Hellenistic and Roman imperial era, as were the Mithraic mysteries themselves. Some scholars have argued that it has no direct connection to particular Mithraic ritual 
Others consider it an authentic reflection of Mithraic liturgy, or view it as Mithraic material reworked for the syncretic tradition of magic and esotericism. The codex containing the text was acquired by the Bibliothèque Nationale in 1857. It is thought to date to the early 4th century AD, though Dietrich proposed a date of composition as early as 100 to 150 AD. Its likely provenance in Egypt, where evidence of Mithraic cult is rare, presents a major obstacle to regarding it an authentic liturgy. All right, so we're going to break this down uh, structure. Marvin Meyer divides the Mithras liturgy into two sections. Lines 475 through 750 are a liturgy for the mystic ascent of the soul through seven stages, and 751 through 834 provide instructions on to how on to how to enact on how to enact the liturgy. The text begins by invoking providence and psyche, or in other readings, tyche. The speaker of the invocation announces that he is writing down the mysteries to offer instruction and not for gain, and that he seeks a revelation of the universe in an immort in bleh, an immortality guided by an archangelos, or high messenger of Helios Mithras. The ascent. The ascent through seven grades is viewed by Meyer as representing Mithraic initiation, but it also bears a more general resemblance to the ascent of the initiate in theurgy, with parallels in fragments from the Chaldean oracles. The four elements. The speaker invokes the four classical primordial elements punctuated by Voices magicae, I mean, that's definitely not how you pronounce it. Magical sounds in the following sequence. And it describes the popping and hissing, the pneuma, wind, breath, spirit, the mm, fire, and uh, water, earth. And gives the, uh, the barbarous words for those. These elements he refers to as first origin of my origin, from which his complete body is made. He identifies himself by name and by the name of his mother. Uh, that struck me as interesting. The soul's encounter with the four elements is rehearsed as both generation and regeneration. Two lower powers of air. At this level, lines 537 through 585, the revelation seeker is supposed to breathe deeply and feel himself lifted up as if in midair, hearing and seeing nothing of mortal beings on earth. He is promised to see instead the divine order of the visible gods rising and setting. Ritual silence is prescribed, followed by another sequence of hissing, popping, and 13 magic words. Then you will see the gods looking graciously upon you and no longer rushing at you, but rather going about in their own order of affairs. After a shocking crash of thunder, another admonition of silence and a magic incantation, 
The disk of the sun is to open and issue five pointed stars. The eyes are to be closed for the following prayer. Just interjecting my own commentary on those five pointed stars or pentagrams emerging from the disk of the sun. Uh, this is very much uh, resembling what we see on the Trithemian um, lamans, planetary lamans, and the the pen, uh, pentagrams around the names on the laman represent numbers of spirits to be present upon the conjuration. Um, all right, number three, aeon and powers. I can't talk. In this prayer, lines 585 through 628, the speaker again names himself and his mother, followed by an extensive list of translatable epithets. I have a problem with that word too. Such as light maker and fire driver, interspersed with magic names. These are planetary guardians of the gates of heaven. Among the invocations are Aeon and Eao. An extensive series of vowels are pronounced with fire and spirit. After thunder and a feeling of physical agitation, another series of magical words elicits a vision of Helios. Helios is described, uh, number four, Helios. Helios is described as a youthful god, beautiful in appearance with fiery hair and a white tunic and scarlet cloak and wearing a fiery crown. He is to be given the fire greeting lines 628 through 657, and ask for protection while kissing phylacteries. Number five, seven taikai. The celestial doors are thrown open to reveal seven virgins dressed in linen and with faces of asps, an element identified as Egyptian. They carry golden wands and are to be held individually. Now, I want to interject something here again. Um, this, of course, uh, reminds us of the Ogdode, um, but in particular, for me, this goes back to a dream I had many, 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 many years ago. And this is when I was uh, kind of drinking and, you know, just wandering, kind of lost and no direction and pretty bad time. Um, in the dream, I was in this building and I'm spinning and I, I can't stop. I'm just spinning around the room and entering the room is a woman um, but she's this, like, uh, what's the word for a really, really white person? What do they call that? Albino. She's like this albino cobra headed woman. And she has this hood, like a cobra hood. And it's part of her. It's like her actual head. Um, 
she gets, she, we're both spinning and then we come stopping face to face this far apart. Terrifying. Uh, cobra woman, <laughs> albino cobra woman, giant snake hooded woman, pretty scary. And she's making direct eye contact with me. And she says, this is not the first time that I've been here. And I walk outside the building then, and I see my cousin, my cousin's wife rather, she's alone and sitting at a table outside of the building. And I walk up to her, I'm standing in front of her, she's sitting, and I look down and in my hand is this white feather. And I'd have to check my journal, I don't remember if I handed it to her or what, but um, yeah, that was it. So um, make of it what you will, it's one of those things to ponder on, for me anyway. Uh, I mean, you know, dreams that stick with you and that much vividness for years, they just are full of meaning. I don't know. They just stick with you. Uh, but anyway, all right, uh, continuing on, um, where were we? I keep sliding down in my chair. Those aren't farts. <laughs> I'm slowly, I'm going to be in the floor by the end of this. Let's see, where were we? Homer Powers, okay. Uh, okay, they carry golden wands and are to be hailed individually. Line 657 through 672, which gives their names. And I believe the PGM refers to them as fates, seven fates. Fascinating, isn't it? It's, and just the, the subtle way in which these experiences can play on your mind. Like, okay, if she's a fate, you know, your fate, that's something you should be concerned with. And it's not the first time she's been there. It's like, it's not the first time she's had to come and deal with me on a personal basis. <laughs> All right, number six, seven pole lords. Next to come forth are the seven pole lords wearing linen loincloths and with faces of bulls. All right, so I'm gonna stop here interject one of my own experiences again. It's actually Kelly's experiences, but I often find that Kelly's visions around my technical workings, the line blurs in memory, whether it was her that saw it or me that saw it, because once she sees it and tells me about it, it's almost like it transfers to me and is visible within my mind's eye. So 
I would ha again have to check my journals around what initiation this experience happened. But this was when we were in Mars Hill, so the initiations were definitely ongoing. Uh, Kelly wakes up and um, she's just laying there in the darkness describing this to me. Uh, it's me. I'm standing at the end of the bed. I've got one of my white uh, t-shirts on. The I think you call them wife beaters. I don't know why. It's a horrible name for a t-shirt. But uh, I'm sure they're called something else. Whatever. Anyway, I'm wearing my t-shirt. She knows it's me. But for a head, I just have this giant bull head. Giant black horns. Black bull head. And for a face, there's just stars. And neither Kelly or I had read this at this point. This was early on. And uh, I'm reading this, and I'm like, holy crap. Keep in mind what this is designed to be doing, the ascent of the soul, and what the urgy in itself is designed to be doing, the technology, what it is, what what it is that initiates are initiated into. What is that? Growth. Coming forth by day, the diamond body, an emergence of being. Um, what does that say for everybody down here that has not made that ascent? I think it says that the fall, I don't know if it's a fall, but we're lacking, uh, we're lacking parts of ourself to make us whole here. And this is what creates all of this division. It's, it's a projection. And if you want to get uh, into the, you know, symbolism of Ayin and the devil and uh, the I and what the I, you know, it is how we perceive the world and the symbolism around that and going to Jung's projection of the shadow onto other people. And this is the phenomenon uh, that makes our world what chaos. I hesitate to use that word chaos because to me it doesn't mean disorder. It means a uh, higher order that to us seems not understandable, inexplicable, yet is an higher order, not disorder. So anyway, um, I am so hurt, and this is why I've got my head hung up like this. Uh, so that that was astonishing to me. Kelly's description and some of my, my later experiences, outright being in space, um, I'll never forget. I, I got to keep reading because one of my other experiences, a doorway opened, literally. This again took place in my cousin's church. So many things through the initiations took place in vision in or around that church that I grew up in. Um, as a kid, sitting in those church services, I used to imagine 
myself sometimes. You know, they would get all into this worship, this frenzy, ecstatic, charismatic stuff fueled by music. And, uh, you know, miracles were supposed to be happening. I would always imagine myself like being raised up above everybody and everybody would be like, holy crap. And, you know, I don't know, some crazy like Stephen King kind of phenomena that would just floor everybody. I used to like imagine stuff like that. So anyway, in this experience, that's what happens. I'm in that church. I am laid flat on a kind of bed and it slowly raises up to the top of the church. And as it's raising up, this doorway opens in the top of the church and through it is just outer space. I'm looking up, I'm laying on my back. We go through the doorway. I say we, I don't know who. I felt like Venus was present. A woman. I've always felt with Venus stuff from the beginning, the presence of a woman and very oftentimes of warm embrace from her. And it's, I, I don't know, even know how to describe it, but I felt her there and I wasn't afraid. And normally if you float through a doorway into outer space, I guess it would be terrifying. I wasn't afraid at all. So I'm there in outer space and I feel she wants me to look over here to the right. I turn my head, laying there on my back in outer space on this, whatever it was. Uh, and I see these large spherical objects in space. I think of Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. And if you're seeing these images from the James Webb, uh, whatever, telescope? What is it called? <laughs> is it a telescope? Anyway, the James Webb thing. Um, these pictures are amazing, They're fantastic, amazing, astounding, great showing the world, you know, stuff they've never seen before in so great of detail. It's it's mind-blowing, but and it's so special this type of space stuff to me now after these experiences. It means something and before it was kind of boring and sciency and you know textbooks. That's gone. This stuff's fascinating to me. Space exploration and astrophysics stuff and like I follow all the NASA stuff and I just, you know, I love it because it means so much. I've been there in my mind. I mean, it sounds crazy, but um, so anyway, back to what I see. They're huge, huge spheres. They're red. They're pulsating. And I know they're angry. And I know they're the Pleiades. I just know it. Um, that's what she wanted me to see. You're probably not going to believe this next part, but I swear to God, it's the truth. I wake up from this experience and 
I'm disturbed because they looked pissed. They were pulsating red and I knew they were very angry. Again, and I knew they were the Pleiades, the seven sisters. Um, I wake up and I uh, start browsing the internet or something and I see on the front page um, that Venus is passing the Pleiades. Very close passing of the Pleiades. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. I mean, I could Google it right now. Like, let's see what the exact headline was. Venus passes Pleiades through the Pleiades. Yes. No, come on. I hate when it shows it and it takes away. I can't spell Pleiades. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, looks like that was... No. You're kidding. Did it happen again? April 2nd, 2020. Don't miss Venus and the Pleiades. Venus invades the Pleiades. Once about every eight years. That's what this says. So, whatever. I There's a sky and telescope. I prefer to look at this stuff through astronomical articles rather than uh, astrological. I mean, I'll look at both, but what I read that morning was uh, astronomical. Uh, so this this was from March 31st, 2020? Again, I'd have to check the journal to see when this exactly was, because I wrote it down, but... Uh, shows some pictures so yeah connected through resonance connect conjunctions of venus and the pleiades happen yearly but the planet passes through the cluster only once every eight years this happened last on april 3rd 2012 and will happen again on april 3rd 2028 well, that's what this article is saying. I don't know what the hell year it was, but it was definitely after 2012. So I woke up, read that, and I was like, you gotta be kidding. You gotta be kidding. Like, what does that even mean? And the next thing in the news was the COVID breakout. And you started seeing these images of the COVID virus. And some of them would be animated, you know, they'd be turning around. And it so reminded me of what the Pleiades looked like in my vision, just red and pulsating. Um, I mean, it didn't look exactly like it. It was just reminiscent, kind of, kind of like, well, that's, that's some weird stuff. And then there were some other dream type experiences uh, at that same time a woman who has uh, been in my visions before she always has a scorpion uh, hair piece and very dark hair that's how I know it's her um, around that same time of the Pleiades thing 
she came and she showed me these red translucent bats. I've talked about this before. We we're standing on this cliffside and she took me below. I touched one of the bats, it landed in my hand. She took me below and she showed me endless fields of what looked like raw steaks cut into the shapes of scorpions. Just piles as far as you could see of red meat cut into scorpions. And uh, yeah, there was, a, I think at the, at the very end of that dream, no, this was another one, a bat came hauling ass out of a, a grave with all of these red eyes. That was all the time around COVID. And it really freaked me out because the what we first heard was that it was like from a bat or something. I don't even know now, but it was freaky as hell to live through. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what does this even mean and why? Why was I shown this stuff? Like, why is something taking the time to show me this stuff? Like, are we individually that important that we can really have these type of experiences? And I, I mean, I cannot deny after so much of this stuff happening, just being, oh, it was a coincidence, you know, Venus is passing through the Pleiades. I mean, it's not something on my radar at all. And wake up and just boom. It, even the synchronicity of the timing. Have the dream, wake up, see Venus is going through the Pleiades. Just unbelievable. The, the most unbelievable thing was being in outer space, having the experience. That blew everything away. The when That type of stuff. Forget everything else. Uh, anyway, let's get back to finishing this up because I got to get out of this chair. I'm gonna go walk around or something. Oh my god! All right, did I finish the pole lords? Seven pole lords next to come forth are the seven pole lords wearing linen. Oh my god! It mentions linen loincloths. I just kind of—it's kind of interesting, is it not? The the white wife beater T-shirts I wear. It's a little bit interesting. It's a stretch, but it's just kind of, that's kind of funny. Uh, they have seven golden diadems, seven gold diadems. What is a diadem? I, what the hell is a diadem? Diadem. Oh, a jeweled crown or headband worn as a symbol of sovereignty. Um, where was I? and are also held to be held individually by name. They have powers of thunder, lightning, and earthquakes, as well as the capacity to grant physical health, good eyesight and hearing, and calmness. The two groups of seven, female and male, are both depicted in an Egyptian manner and represent the region of the fixed stars. Now, that is a detail that had escaped me. Seven pole lords. All right, seven, highest God. In the midst of the lightning and tremors of the earth, the highest God appears, youthful and bright in appearance, wearing a white tunic a golden crown and trousers. He holds the shoulder of a bull. 
in what seems to be an astronomical reference. His eyes project lightning bolts and stars issue from his body. The instructions are to make a long bellowing sound straining your belly that you may excite the five senses below long until out of bellow long until out of breath and again kiss the phylacteries. The encounter with the highest God is intended to result in divine revelation and apathanatismos, a technical term for the temporary achieving of a state of immortality. I don't understand that contradiction. Temporary achieving immortality? I guess it wears off like the Mario star. You're like, hey, I'm invincible. Uh-oh. No, I'm not. The Goomba. All right, enactment and use. Lines 751 through 834 are instructions. I don't get that. That confuses me. Anyway, uh, instructions on how to enact the liturgy. The practitioner is warned not to misuse the mysterion. Lines 724 through 834. And is given instructions on the preparation of magical accoutrement. A sun scarab ointment. And this is fascinating to me. And the herb contritus. That's very fascinating. We don't know what that was. And the protective phylacteries for the ritual. Those are straightforward, sort of. The section also offers some additional information and incantations. Magic context. In Book 4 of the Greek Magical Pyre, in which the Mithras liturgy occurs, lines 1 through 25 are a spell calling on Egyptian and Jewish powers in order to obtain informations. Information line 11, 27 through 64, don't tell the Kremlin that, are a spell for exercising a demon using Coptic words of Christian origin with instructions for preparing an amulet. Lines 17, 16 through 1870 are headed Sword of Dardanos and is a love spell. The Mithras liturgy shares several elements found widely in magic as practiced in the Greco-Roman world, which drew on or claimed the authority of Egyptian religion and magic. These include the preparation of amulets and ointments, the timing of rituals based on astronomical phenomena or horoscopes, and the manipulation of breath and speech. Vocalizations, vocalizations include popping and hissing sounds for onomatopoeia, Variations on the sequence of Greek vowels, glossolalia. Uh, I know that term from theology, glossolalia. Uh, also, Terence McKenna would even, not a Pentecostal, but uh, experienced glossolalia through the mushrooms and would give examples in his talks. So, glossolalia is the speaking in tongues. Uh, that's what Pentecostals would call it or people familiar with uh, scripture, and words that are untranslatable but seem to derive from or intended to sound like Egyptian, Hebrew, and other languages. The Mithras liturgy is the only text in Betz's collection of the Greek magical papyri that involves a request for immortality, is an example of the difficulties in distinguishing between the categories of magic and religion in the ancient world. So today we think we have those uh, categories nicely 
um, you know, canned as these are the mysteries over here and this is magic technology over here. Okay. Um, I, yeah, right then I think of Crowley's um, quote when, uh, you know, can you kill somebody with magic? Uh, yeah, but if you, once you are able to, you'll know better not to. So um, that goes hand in hand, doesn't it? The raising up of the, I don't know, consciousness, the ascent of the soul. It, it's, a, you know, you grow into knowing better, which is when you hear these modern commentators talk about the mysteries and what they were designed to do, almost being like a college education of sorts. In fact, I've heard uh, Jake Stratton Kent talk about the Goetia uh, being that for the uh, sort of underprivileged. And I've got to say, my own trek through magic has certainly been a uh, college experience. Uh, but anyway, where are we now? Uh, I did want to say after recording that last one, um, you know, the reading of it in the last show, I went to bed and I was struck by uh, the talking about the bellowing. And the next day, I, I tried it again, but it felt like it wasn't how it should be. These long vowel things. And the description of like bellowing and really guttural like, this is something that should shake your whole room up. And it's it's not something that can be done with up here. It's gotta come from down here. So I tried it and it almost felt like I was vomiting, but that's like, I think when you get close to that, that's where you need to be. Where it feels like when you're pronouncing these barbarous words, you're vomiting them. It's coming from way down here. Um, that was just something that struck me after the the last show. Um, all right, where we are? Where we are? I think the popping and hissing. I think that should be experimented with more. Um, it'd be something interesting to research to see if there's any examples anywhere. All right, so uh, questions of Mithraic content. Let's see here. Is this interesting enough to read? Uh, context. So same thing. If you look up Mithraism on, say, YouTube, you'll find all kinds of stuff. Um, different types of people interested in it for different reasons. But here, here's something worth reading. Uh, Cumont argued that the text lacked Mithraic eschatology, the Mithraic doctrine of passage of the soul through the seven planetary spheres and Mithras as a guide in the ascension. Betts believes that the Mithras liturgy is a product at the meeting point of Greek, Egyptian, and Mithraic traditions, finally identifying the central ascent section as a product of early Hermeticism. 
Um, and you know, it that certainly makes sense to me. There are other views offered. Uh, yeah, and there we go. That was the whole Wikipedia article, essentially. And uh, I just thought that was a nice summation. Let's see, is there anything else I want to say about it? I think for me, there's still something I haven't done. And uh, that first experience with Venus goat and him giving me saying master warp mother warp master warp mother warp master warp mother warp i didn't know what the hell it was what it meant but you know delving further into theurgy and even here even here in this mithraic liturgy um the talk about you know where'd the guy get the herbs from well it was the messenger of Helios, the Archangelos, gave it to him, told him the herbs. What were the herbs for? Uh, this is where it's, it's really fascinating, and I don't remember where I was reading on this. I'll try to find it, maybe for next time. But the notion was, um, I guess I gathered, the abstract notion I gathered from it was that those herbs, there's something about, I mean, even in Pokemon, you know, you, you use the incense and it attracts Pokemon. I think of uh, Stephen, um, oh God, why do I always have trouble remembering his name? Uh, give me one second. Uh, Stephen Skinner, I don't know why I can't remember his last name, him talking about spirits and his hypothesis around uh, why we use incenses and uh, their powerful sense of smell, and we probably stink to them, but there in magical tradition across time and cultures, there it is. Uh, So that's what I've still not done. Um, getting back to what I think it does is draws this, going back to the Egyptian parts of the soul. I, this is extraordinarily, like I, I have not even really poised this in thought before. It's just kind of been an abstract floating around in here. Um, I guess if I wanted to say it in a Jungian way, uh, that is the first thing that happens with the uh, Jungian individuation is an encounter with the shadow and then some sort of uh, eating of the shadow if a shamanic, shamanistic way to put it or uh, going to uh, a wizard of Earthsea Ursula K. Le Guin the, the coming together the embracement of the shadow and uh, uh, there's another I can't think of his name he wrote a book called The Shadow's Gift like I can't think of his name but anyway um, 
I don't know because I haven't done it because I've been too scared to do it because it was so powerful of experience. I'm not eager to have something that disruptive occur right now <laughs> in my life. But uh, as I record this, I mentioned it was July 21st. July 15th was just a few days ago. And that is my magical birthday. That is when it all uh, happened with GOAT. The master work, mother work message, and all the rest of it. So I had never gotten master work and mother work together. I had them at one point, and then uh, never had master work. Excuse me, but I had had mother work. I had used it up, and then within the last couple of years, I finally found a greenhouse in the states that sold a uh, variegated master work plant. Now this plant is extraordinarily well-known in the ancient world and is called the magic plant and uh, Culpepper called it the hottest plant most fiery most martial of course uh, motherwort associated with uh, Venus and you know you think of Baphomet masculine feminine principle all this stuff I just have no, I, I've been scared to. So, but this last 15th of July, just a few days ago, I, I forgot the masterwork story. So I ordered the masterwork. It got here, and long story short, it died because uh, it had, um, what are those little parasites called? Uh, aphids. Aphids are horrible. They can take out greenhouses. So that greenhouse sent me a plant with aphids and I've had to clean everything since because once you get aphids, it's very, very hard to get rid of aphids. Um, and I tried my best to save that master work plant, but I could not, everything I do, they, they came back and just would not let up on their attack. And so it died, but um, I took the leaves of it so I have a very small amount of masterwort and it is very rare. You guys, I challenge you. Now there's something called masterwort. Uh, what we're looking for, the Latin name is Pusidanum something something. But we're looking for the traditional masterwort, not the, the garden variety flower thing. Um, you'll know it's masterwort because I ground the leaves up in a coffee grinder. I went and got motherwort. This was on the 15th and I put them together. And I've got so much going on in life now. I I didn't do another venous operation. I wanted to do, this is my thinking, do the venous operation on a day of venus with this um, Mithras liturgy, Mithraic liturgy, whatever. and implement the masterwort and motherwort. Um, it just didn't happen. The last 15th, I was kind of disappointed and kind of relieved at the same time because, again, we got so much going on here that uh, am I prepared for that type of experience again? I don't know right now. 
you know, some things need to settle in life before I feel like I can really grab on to the work again in the way I had on it at one point. I, I just don't feel like there's some things that need to um, to settle in both Kelly and mine's life before that can take place. But the important thing is I now own Master Wart and Mother Wart a small amount and it will have to last because good luck finding another Master Wart plant. If you do, let me know where you find it. And I would love to have it growing here because it, it's known as the magic plant. And I mean, come on, Culpepper called it the most fiery martial plant that is. And I, I mentioned, I don't know, I'm getting senile, I guess. I ground it up in the coffee grinder and smelled it. And it it was peppery. It's like it floated right up my nose and caught it on fire in a way that I'd never experienced before. You know, pepper, if you sniff it, black pepper burns in a certain way. If you sniff, you know, you're cooking jalapenos or habaneros, those are going to hit your nose in a certain way. This hit my nose in a certain way. I'd never, I mean, it was like potent. I just kind of held it like this and it was like, whoop. But uh, yeah, I'm very interested. Not so interested I would find out right now. But to see what that would be like, uh, the mixture of master and mother, what it would smell like. But I don't need a goat right this instance I don't think I probably do but man it's too much you know you got so much stuff going on you're just like I can't handle anything else right now not, not right now you know if you want to fix this over here for me how about fixing my shoulder <laughs> and my back this is the biggest one of the biggest struggles I got right now it's just dealing with this pain so, um, speaking of pain, um, the next magical operation I feel up to is a martial one. And I feel that I could use more discipline, specifically in my trading. That every time I get in trouble, it's because I left the discipline and started doing some something else. And it, it can happen so casually because you can trade from your phone pull your phone out anytime you want to and you can almost find yourself treating it like a, a game app or something and you cannot do that um, trading takes an incredible amount of discipline and it's been a journey to acquire it I've acquired it but at sometimes I, I something happens in my head and I walk away from the discipline and then I get in trouble and it hurts and I'm like oh yeah I can't play around here this is no place for playing uh, this takes like the utmost discipline day in and day out you cannot screw around uh, with leverage trading you cannot screw around you have to know exactly what your risk limits are and what your goals are what your daily profit target is and how much you're willing to lose every single time you hit buy or sell um, and it takes a lot of discipline because your emotions are going to be going all over everywhere but 
long story short, uh, I'm going to browse around in the veritable key of Solomon. I feel like I said it's been so long since I've talked recording. I'm saying stupid things like repeating them. Long story short, but I have here the veritable key of Solomon. I just wanted to take a look um, at Mars. And uh, of course we have the intelligence of Mars being Graphiel, Damon of Mars being Barzabel. Uh, let's see, name of the familiar spirit, ruler of the influences of the planet of Mars, Phaleg, his mystical number 65. Samael, the presiding angel who presides over Tuesday. Okay, um, let's take a look at the talismans. Is there anything here that I could use as a way to achieve discipline, greater discipline? Actually, the first thing I'm looking at. Okay, so in order to be fortunate for military purposes, Tuesday under Mars is the first pentacle. Uh, next one, against weapons of fire and other offensive and defensive devices. In order to be invulnerable, Tuesday under Mars, for military expeditions and against bad encounters, Tuesday under Mars, to be invulnerable and to charm weapons, Tuesday under Mars, to incite civil wars, schisms, and uprisings in enemy lands, Tuesday under Mars, against attacks from traitors, Tuesday under Mars, to encourage civil war in foreign countries, against all kinds of perils, for military expeditions, and to charm firearms. Uh, to subdue spirits of air in case of them rebelling against ambushes and treachery to win over the favor of the familiar spirits of the planet of Mars and honestly that last one sounds like the best one to me to win over the favor of the familiar spirits of the planet of Mars. So that may be my next magical operation on, guess when? Tuesday, day of Mars. And of course we'll have to check out, check out the astrology chart around that. All right guys, I gotta get out of this chair. I'm gonna go move around, walk, and try to get my back and neck better. Until next time, hope you guys have a good one.